0: All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe, you give me an amen. Amen. All right, when we want to start to study, um, we like to activate our spirits, wake it up, or wake them up to be able to understand the Word of God. And the way we do that is by declaring God's Word to ourselves. That is, things that are derived from what God has promised us. That's why we read and we chant things. It's important. You learn how to... Let me use the word repeat and meditate. The word is meditate. When we talk about meditating upon the word, it's not just about thinking about it. It's also about repeating those things from your mouth. So I want to study this how we start. So let's all do that together. Look at that and then let's declare together. I want to let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In our spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. His word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I said, Amen. Amen. Now, the way you have declared it, that is how God will do it for you in Jesus' name. Which means that you will be filled with the knowledge of His will. You will have spiritual wisdom and understanding. You will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You will please Him in all respects. You will bear fruit in every good work. And you will increase in the knowledge of God. This evening, understanding will come to you that will drive away every confusion out of your life. Amen. The Bible says they came to hear and to be healed. Everyone who is here this evening to hear will be healed. Amen. If there is any affliction in your body by the entrance of the word, it will go away. Amen. He sent his word and it healed them. And that word delivered them from their destructions. The word that will deliver you from your own destruction, you will hear it today in the name of Jesus. Amen. The word that will heal you, you will hear this evening in the name of Jesus Amen. Christ that you took the trouble to climb this flight of stairs to this place, God will not let you go back the same way you came. In the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord is good. Please greet two, three people on your left or your right. The person, you are very wise with the wisdom of God. You are wise with the wisdom of heaven. All right, while you are doing that, just take your seats. The Lord is good. Let's open our Bibles again. I want us to quickly continue the book of Matthew chapter 5. We have been looking at the culture of faith for a long time. What we have been understanding from the study is that things are different for Christians. They live in a different way. They have a different set of standards they operate by, that is, compared with the rest of the world. Now, that, those are the things that the Lord Jesus set up in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. If you go through those things, some of them are hard to accept. How can you tell me to be slapped on the right cheek and then I turn the other one? And you say that is righteousness. How do you speak to me that if my eye causes me to stumble, I should pull it out? Do you realize the eye is important? Are you getting my point? He said, pray and God was the first prayer point Jesus gave in his life that was recorded for us is for our enemies. He did not say pray for your friends. The first prayer point he gave was that we should pray for our enemies. He did not say pray for your father, pray for your country. The very first time he mentioned that we should pray, he said we should pray for our enemies. And he said those things up and he said, Except your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees you cannot enter the kingdom. And when he said that, he meant it. Like we said last time, when he said that um, you will remove your eyes, we discussed it. That what he was saying is that there is a level of operation of the Spirit. There is a level of manifestation of God in your life that you will not see if there is any speck of impurity in you. And in removing that impurity... If it takes you to remove your eyes, don't hesitate. What I just said last time to mellow that down slightly without changing the words of the Lord Jesus is that the Lord Jesus was saying, in effect, if you realize that that's the extent you will have to go, you most likely will find other ways, do you understand, to solve the problem before it gets to that point. But we can take him literally, even though sometimes Jesus will speak with hyperboles. For example, he will say that um, people swallow camels I think we can accept that that is hyperbolic for you to say somebody is swallowing a camel. But it was easy to emphasize a point. So we know sometimes he does that. However, we can take this literally. But we understand that if he's going to get to that level, we have many steps to cross because before that becomes necessary. Before we begin to remove our right hands, there are things that we probably would have been able to do to prevent us getting to that level. But we should understand that he means it when he says it. I hope you are getting my point. Which means that we must never be comfortable with any excuse for iniquity. We must never, never. This is how you know people that will be destroyed. They keep on looking for excuses to continue in what they are doing, instead of looking for how to discontinue it. You understand? The Bible says you should exercise yourself unto godliness. Godliness is exercise. It's something you go out out of your way to put effort into to achieve. If you used to, if you find that you would have caught yourself telling lies. Before you realize that you are lying, you will go ahead, you understand, and start practicing how to tell the truth. Even when it means that you have to go and tell somebody that what I said earlier was not true. You will go back. Because, you see, let me tell you something. God is very good. I don't know why he did like that, but part of the things he did for us is that he expects us to go through the process. That is, the process is important to him. It's not just the end result. For example, God could touch you and automatically make you clean. Do you understand? Sometimes he doesn't do that. Sometimes he said, look, I have put the spirit of Christ in you, but then you start finding weaknesses inside you. Part of the things that he's doing is to allow you to go through the process of refining yourself. You understand? He wants you to put in the effort. And what is he doing? He's demonstrating the love of righteousness in you. I hope, I hope you're getting my point here. And that demonstration of righteousness, the love for it, is important to him. God is preparing us to put us in places He has not given us everything to understand. Paul said we prophesy in part, we understand in part. So as a matter of fact, I know we don't understand everything that he's doing. But one thing I can see from the words of the Lord Jesus and everything we see from the scriptures is that he's preparing us for another level. There is something that he's doing. I don't know the details. Like we said last time, we know there are people who after many years decide to fall back. It happens. It happens. You understand? And when they fall back, it's usually at the point in which the cares of this world And the deceitfulness of riches and the loss for other things. Those loss for other things, they come in and they choke the word. You understand? And that's where many people fall away. But those who survive that, even then, they come in different levels. There are 30-fold results. There are 60-fold results. And there are 100-fold results. Some will come and say, "Your, your meaner master has made two more. Some will say, your men master has made five more. And some will say, your men master has made ten more. And to the tenth, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. What that tells us is that that is what he's going for. He wants us to come to that level. I'm saying something here. That one of the things that the Lord does is watch the way we pursue righteousness. It's very important. There is a pursuit for righteousness. It's important to understand it. There is a way we can pursue righteousness. And God is judging that pursuit of righteousness. He's judging it. He's judging it. He's not judging only. The fact that, um, I, you know, if I touch the person, is totally clean. I never does anything that is wrong. Even if I leave a bit of impurity in him, God says, let me see how he will work hard so as to remove every strand of impurity. Those things are part of the things that I'm watching. Those things are part of the things I'm using to judge where I will put this fellow when I return. Because as a matter of fact, one day the Lord Jesus is going to return and we are all going to give account of our lives before him. That is a matter of fact. There are two kinds of accounts we are going to give. Or I said, there are two kinds of fruits that he's looking for in our lives. First, he's looking for the fruit of righteousness. That is how much of Christ is being birthed in us. He will look for it. He will look for it. Okay? That is first one. And secondly, he will look for how well we fulfilled. How much we fulfilled the reason why he gave us life. Listen, I want to say that again. When you are making decisions in life, bear this thing in mind. One day, You will have to account for how well you fulfill the reason why he gave you life. It will happen. Listen, like we said the other time, there are two important questions Christians must answer. There are two important questions that God asks his people. He will come and say, Where are you? Do you understand? And now when he asks that, it means that I kept you somewhere, I came to that place. I did not find you. I kept you somewhere. I came to that place and you were missing. The second question he will ask is, what are you doing here? When he finds you in certain places, if he gets to where you are supposed to be, you are not there. He will go ahead and go and look for you somewhere else. He will say to you, what are you doing here? Those are two questions that Adam had to answer. When God said to him, where are you? He had to tell, you know, he didn't say I'm behind the, you know, the Sycamore tree. I'm behind the roco tree. I'm behind the pepper farm. He didn't say that. He said, look, I heard the sound of your voice and I hid myself. What was he trying to say there? That God was asking him also at the same time, where are you and what are you doing where you are? I hope you're getting my point. So Christians must bear this in mind. They have to answer that. And there are things you can't tell the Lord. You can't say, I have come to look for a future for my children. I hope you're getting my point. He doesn't accept that. You cannot say, I have decided I'm looking for where life is more comfortable. He does not accept that. What is important to him is what I gave you life to do. Are you doing it? Because one day you will give account. And if we are not making steady progress in these two areas that he comes to check, like I mentioned, first Christ-likeness, and second one, the purpose of God for our lives, if we are not making steady progress, he will have to decree. This is how he does. He said, "Uproot that guy. He's useless to me. Uproot that lady. is useless to me. That also happened. He came to the garden, all right, and said, look, I've look. this guy is just using up soil. I've come here again and again looking for fruit. There is none. So what do we do? The Holy Spirit said, just please, just give me one more, one more year. Let me dig around him. Let me see the kind of things that I can do so that he will produce results. And that one came next time, if there's nothing, then we are going to have to cut him down. I get to this particular point, I repeat myself again. Don't let anybody preach to you that because you have given your life to Christ, everything is okay. Giving your life to Christ is the beginning of a journey. I hope you are getting my point. Giving your life to Christ is the beginning of another journey. And all of us, we we are potentially equal, but we are not all equal. Each person will start distinguishing himself or herself before the Lord by how He makes progress by how she makes progress in those two areas. Don't ever think the sacrifice of Jesus excuses you. It doesn't. The Bible says clearly, to whom much is given? Much is expected. That is, if God cleanses you of your sins by the power of the blood of Jesus, he expects more righteousness in your daily work. Do you get what I'm going to say here? It does not excuse your problems just because you claim you are giving your life to Christ. He says, if I have cleansed you by the power of the blood of Jesus, then you should be able to walk above sin. I expect you to walk above the corruption that is in the world. I expect you to be able to distinguish yourself because you have the power of heaven working in you. I know that Daniel did not distinguish himself by his own energy. I know that Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah did not distinguish themselves by their own energy. What I'm saying to you is that the same spirits that was inside them, that helped them distinguish themselves, is available to you. So you're not going to hide behind grace to continue iniquity. No, grace is a method by which we overcome every form of iniquity. That's what we've been talking about. And that's the point we're reaching here. That grace is the method by which we overcome it. Please, the doctrine began to make waves again. Let's kill it now before people, too many people believe it. That grace means that, you know, people say salvation is purely by faith and by faith alone. And, of course, we can all make those statements, but what do we mean by those statements? That's the issue. I was preaching on radio then, of course, on word vs. word. Somebody called, and he was kind of angry. I said, people don't open their ears when you are talking to them sometimes. It's called stronghold. They have made up their minds what they want to believe. Whatever you say, if he seems to disagree with what they have crammed or what the apostle has said or what one, one man of God has said, you know, they don't want to hear the opposite. They don't want to hear anything that uh, is, that differs. He said he was quoting scriptures for me that salvation is by faith. And I'm saying somebody actually, you know, wrote something on social media that I should withdraw that thing. I said that salvation, there's more to salvation than salvation by faith. And I said, which Bible do you read? Do I have to agree with you just because you like it one way? I agree with the scriptures. I agree with the scriptures. James said clearly to us, if the faith does not have works, it's dead. James never said salvation is by works. He just said salvation is by faith, but the faith, if it's alive, it must have works. So if it doesn't have works, the person who claims to have the faith is deceived. Many people are deceived. Look, as a matter of fact, the word deception, to be deceived, means that you think you are right, but you are wrong. And when you say you are right, you are not lying. You actually think you are right, but you are wrong. That's the meaning of deception. That's why on the last days, many people will go to him and say, did we not prophesy in your name? How will somebody come to the Lord Jesus to say, I prophesied in your name, except that he felt that he really did, and Jesus knew him. That was why Jesus said to the disciples, don't rejoice that you cast out demons in my name. Don't rejoice that healing occurred by your hands in my name. Don't rejoice that demons were no trembling when you mentioned my name. He said, rejoice in one thing, that your name is written in heaven, that you are known. Your name is in the Lamb's book of life. That is, it's possible for people to have some of those manifestations in their lives, but their names are not recorded. It's possible. That's why Jesus said it. That so they will come to me and say, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do all these things in your name? That is, there are many people who today, they are, past, they are pastors of churches. Jesus said, I don't know them. If I return today, I will cast them into the lake of fire. I don't know them. But every Sunday, they are standing out there claiming to be preachers. I want you to hear the word from their mouth, forgetting that there was a time God spoke through a donkey How much more an unbeliever? You know, are you getting my point? If he could use a donkey, he can use anything. Very important. So many people are deceived. How do we know, alright, that our faith is genuine? James said there is only one way. Otherwise we'll be walking in deception. He even said, he said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. Many people go to church, he was saying, are deceived. Are deceived. And he said there is a way to know whether you have been deceived or not. Just check whether you are doing the word. If you are not doing the word, you are deceived. Your faith is not genuine. You are just lying to yourself. Very important point for us to understand. Many people are deceived. So that day, that man I was speaking told the, I told the young man, listen, don't preach to the converted. You know, don't preach to the converted. Don't bother explaining to me that salvation is by faith. I know. I am just saying that what about faith that is dead? According to James, can such a faith save anybody? It can't. That was the obvious answer. If faith is dead, it can't help anyone. So if your faith is not alive, it would not help you, it will not save you. But which kind of faith is alive? The one that produces works. We can't say these things enough. And the works, Jesus gave us a standard, that's what we've been looking at. Let's re- read it again, Matthew chapter 5. I encourage everybody to go through, read Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. And conform himself, herself, to the words that the Lord Jesus put inside there for us. Where I want to read, we're not reading everything. We'll continue from where we stopped last time. Matthew chapter 5. Let's start from verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven. Is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure. But on the lampstand, and he gives light to all who are in the house. He said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Um, Let's just read verse 43. Now, please, Jesus spoke in segments. In the first segment, he talked about being blessed, the things that you do. The other segment, he began to look at the commandments, how people should obey them properly. And then... He talked about the practice of righteousness. That was the next segment. That's the third one, which is from chapter 6. But let's cross somewhere towards the end of that second segment and read from verse 43. I want to bring out just a statement at the end of that chapter. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven for it causes his rain to rise on the evil and the good, and sends Holy ghost fire on the unrighteous, and blessings on the righteous. That's how what, you know, that's what we practice. Yes. <laughs> he said, it sends rain on the righteous at the same time as the unrighteous. But if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same, the people you call sinners. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect. That's why I was reading this, verse 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is where we began from, we ended last time. That's what we talked about. You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father Is perfect. Last time I talked about the pursuit of righteousness. The quest for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is, they are hungry. It is so that they will be conformed with God's order. They are thirsty. What will satisfy their thirst is that they are conformed to righteousness. And that they see righteousness around them. It is their thirst. They will never be satisfied until, now listen to this, until they are as perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. Now, let me say something to you quickly. That is, of course, that's what Jesus wants from us. All right? Now, let me say this to you quickly. This was the problem of Job. And that was what God was trying to solve in the life of Job. You must understand what God is trying to do. God is trying to make us exactly like him. Listen. What is God like? I will tell you. It is very easy. Philip says, show us the Father. What did Jesus say? If I've been with you all this while you are still making such statements. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That is, being perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. It means look at Jesus. Exactly as he is, that is what you are supposed to be. That is, must be the quest of your heart. That must be the drive, thing, that the thing that is pushing you. This was the problem that Job had. Remember, this is the culture of faith we're talking about. We're talking about the things that we do outwardly that mark our faith, that mark our Christianity. That's what we're trying to say. So we're not just talking doctrine here. We're talking about the practice of righteousness. We're talking about the practice of holiness. We're talking about the practice of godliness as a lifestyle. That is what we are pushing for every day. You understand my point? It's important for us to understand this. We are not saying we are perfect. You understand? But each day, that is where our goal is. Each day, that is where our focus is. I was saying that the problem with Job, the problem Job had, we know for a long time you wonder, why will God, you need to understand how to interpret scriptures. You understand? Why would God make a statement like, this man was blameless? Do you understand? It was the, how did he describe Job again? He like said, this man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Now, let me summarize this. This man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. And what was the result of it? Now, let's remember this again. God was the one that brought up the matter of Job with Satan. Satan did not come to God with the matter of Job. Therefore, we can say, all what he passed through was the idea of God. It was not Satan's idea read it properly Satan said I have given up I have left him, you have blessed him he fears you, he's getting something out of it anyway he discussing Satan did not bring up the matter of Job, God did and that's very instructive why did he do that? I'll tell you, because Jesus said it twice to us first of all he said he that bears fruit I will do what? I will prune that he may bear more fruit That was the problem of Job, he was bearing fruit. That was the first time he said said that to us. Second time he said it was in Revelation. He said to one church, he said, you have done everything well, you are a good church, everything about you is good. He said, however, you are about to enter temptation for 10 days, you will be cast into prison. Where is that one, please? If you know where, just quickly help me. I know it's revelation. I'm, it's open in front of me. I'm just looking for which verse of the two is chapter 2 and chapter 3. Chapter 2, verse 8. The church in Smyrna, God said, verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but they are nothing but a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. Now notice this. These were people that had no problem. These were people that Jesus looked at and said that I know of your, um, what do you call it? He said you are rich. He said to them, you are rich. At the end of the day, he said, you are about to be tempted again, tested ten days. Listen, that is the way it works. The Lord Jesus said, he that bears fruit, I will prune. That he may do what? Bear more fruit. He saw them and said, these people are good. Let us perfect them entirely so that they will be exactly like me and be exactly like the father. Now, in Job's case, this was the issue. Please follow me. In Job's case, what happened was that Job was perfect as far as human beings were concerned. Job was upright as far as human beings were concerned. Everything that was in his life was good, but he had the righteousness essentially by works. God liked it, it was okay, but it was not perfect. Job was doing all right, but that was not all God wanted. God wanted the righteousness by faith to be manifested even in the life of Job. That was why he made him go through that tribulation. The point was that by the time he was done, if you look at it closely, Job was wondering, I have done right, why am I suffering like this? Do you follow my point? But God, by the time the Lord finished with him, Job said, I repent in dust and in ashes. That is, you will see. He said, I have heard of you with the hearing of my uh, ears, but now I see you. What happened was that before that time, Job's righteousness was at the human level. Job was better than everybody. But God was saying, you will be perfect as every human being around is perfect. Was that what he said? Answer me. What did he say? As your heavenly father is perfect. Job was more perfect than every human being. But it was not as good as the Heavenly Father. And it is not possible to be as as your Heavenly Father is perfect. It is not possible to be as your Father in Heaven is perfect. Except His Spirit is working righteousness inside you. So what God was doing in the life of Job was to drive him to a point, which is what I am talking about. Where he will tap into the grace for righteousness and not be depending on his own works. Listen, I began by saying, all those things that Jesus said we should accomplish... All those walk that he said we should walk, they are not humanly possible. They are only possible for people who are tapping into the grace that he brought into life. He said the law came by Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus. Grace is divine power to do righteousness. Grace is divine power to walk in holiness and in godliness. That's what grace is. Now let me say it again. Grace is not the excuse hmm, for you to continue living the way you like. Grace is not that we say, look, grace covers. No. There's a difference between mercy and grace, actually. Grace is God's power, ability released. And what, I, what, what we succeeded in doing last time was to let us know that we must have a thirst for righteousness. You know, in Nigeria of today, <laughs> every security man that is outfit I you know, they are looking for how to collect money from people. Have you ever gone to the airport? You see people in uniform, supposed to check. This is aviation security, so I don't carry Al-Qaeda bomb onto a plane, and you are greeting me. <laughs> International flight is just as bad. I don't know about now, the last time I used it. You ask, are you carrying money? You say yes. There's a law about how much you declare. You say, okay, no problem, I appreciate the officer. <laughs> you look at these adults. I told myself I need to get my glasses, that is sunshades. Next time I go to Mutale Mohammed Airport, I will make sure I buy sunshades. I will wear it throughout. Whatever you say, I will be talking to myself. You will know the direction I'm looking. I just make sure I don't no matter how much money I have, I just once you don't have ten thousand dollars, you've not committed the crime. It's not ten thousand dollars, how much is it? Uh i reach the officer. I say, people, they don't get shame. Everybody is looking for how to collect something from you. Few people will agree to do their work with integrity and with contentment. Now, we all have excuses. Now, please follow me. We all have excuses to give. It's because minimum wage is too small. No. So what I've done is that, you see, security forces, it's not just police. Everybody is looking for how to get something out of people. You walk into a government office... Everybody is looking for how they will get something out of somebody. And the excuse we give, minimum wage is too small. The money they are earning, do you understand, is not enough. That's why they need it to supplement. Good, that is the excuse we give. The first question is what they are doing. Is it right or is it not right? Answer it. Forget whether the person is rich or poor first. Is it right or is it not right? It's not right. Once you decide it's not right, you know what God says? If you're a Christian, you start walking towards absolute zero participation. That is why he gave those things. Sometimes you have to remove your right eye so that you won't be see what's going on. Sometimes now it's for yourself. Oh, please, please! I must, I must. Um, in fact, there's a scripture we should quickly read because I'm trying to get somewhere. Let's quickly go to Matthew chapter six, in verse nine. He said, "This is how you will pray: Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name." Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is recorded or written in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. He said, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I just need to read that. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want you to understand something here. What Jesus said is this. Deliver us from doing evil. He wasn't saying, deliver us from falling into a place where evil is done against us. What he said is that deliver us so that we will not be compelled to do that which is wrong. Do you understand? That's why it's tied to temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from doing evil. Very important statement. Why am I talking about that? So you get into that kind of situation, you realize that God has set a goal before you. But look, Listen, like I say, his, his Bible says he's mindful that we are both flesh. Some things, you know, sin comes in different levels. I hope you know all sins are not the same. Are they all the same? Some people are not sure. No, you know, we have to prove this from scriptures. Jesus said there are weightier matters of the law. True of us? Good. When God was giving commandments, he would tell them this one is an abomination. It is not everything that he called an abomination. So sin comes Sins come in different weights and in different categories. That's why I have to say no matter the category, once it is unrighteousness, it is sin. I don't know whether you are getting my point. Once it is unrighteousness, it is sin. Okay? Why am I saying this? You see what I'm saying in the moment? So, okay, just another proof, John said there is sin unto death, and there is sin that is not unto death. So let you know that things come in categories. There are things that in times past God winked over. He just forgot about them. For example, David married three wives, four wives, five wives, six wives, When we stopped counting. We know there are wives after. You know they were concubines. What are concubines? Concubines are the ones that are... They, they, they are... They are... wife-like. That is the best definition. They are wife-like substances... <laughs> inside the house. Concubines are interesting people. <laughs> they were not girlfriends per se because they, were, they lived in the house. The wives knew the concubines and the concubine couldn't marry somebody else. Concubine was joined to the King David or whoever, whoever else's concubine she was. She slept with the master, had children for him, but just had a different set of rights. Yes, their rights were different. Okay? They didn't have the rights that wives had. All right? That's just one of the things. So, David had many concubines. You know that. You remember Absalom? He was his father's concubines. He went, he went into his father's concubines to show that there's no reconciliation possible again so that Israel will now be strengthened according to the counsel of Ahithophel and follow him. Now, why am I saying all of these things? Oh, <laughs> bro, so low. Solomon amplified, there's what in, in, in genetics we call gene amplification. Those so of you who study medicine, biology, you know what I'm talking about. There's gene amplification. The wife gene and the concubine gene was amplified in the life of Solomon. So at his own. they gave us a total count. 700 wives and 300 concubines. 1,000 women in the life of one man. Why won't you deny God? <laughs> they promised some guys 70 wives. They are blowing themselves up. <laughs> you, you have 1,000. You will deny God. Trust me. Don't even think you won't. You will. There is no way. Why won't you deny God? Now, how am I talking about all of this? Was God angry? You look at it. <laughs> Leave them. They are Muslims. That's what God just said about Moses. <laughs> Sorry, David and Solomon that's where they came from, that whole axis. So, but was it right? No. Was it a sin? Listen, people have asked me once, is this a sin or is not a sin? The way we use the word sin is hard to answer some questions. Because if you want to answer that properly, David marrying those women was a sin. Why? In the beginning, it was not so. I hope you are getting my point. So if you want to look at sin properly, you know, John said, all unrighteousness is sin. He was saying there is a sin unto death and there is a sin that is not unto death. But please get it clear. All unrighteousness is bad. Now let me tell you what we are discussing here. Instead of sitting down, because people do it, and say, what is wrong with polygamy care? After all, monogamy is only compulsory for those who want to be dickens. I've had an argument before. If any man desires the office of a deacon, desires a good thing. A deacon must be a husband of one wife. feel that thing? So people say, well, I don't want to be deacon.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I can be a husband of two wives, of three wives, or four wives. And what is the argument that I don't want to be a deacon? Please, let me just clarify for those who don't understand. The Bible never said, really, that the, hus- the deacon... Only deacons should be husbands of one wife. What, is, what the Bible said is that they are the example for the church. For example, it said a deacon must have an honest report outside, truffles. Does it mean those of us who don't want to be deacons, we can be jagged outside? We can be thugs outside? No. So even though he said a deacon will be a husband and one wife, in the same way he said the deacon must have what? a Good report, he said, must not be given to wine. Does it mean the rest of us, since we are not going to be dickens, that we must like to booze every evening? Will you date joint? Ah, say, Pastor, okay, I'm not a dickens, don't worry. <laughs> 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 ah, what are you doing? I'm only on the fifth bottle, but I'm not a dickens. I hear that this month you are choosing deacons. Forget me. I've told them to remove my. <laughs> but we don't say that because we understand. What he said about deacons, all right, is that they are the examples for the rest of the church to follow. He wasn't saying the law applies only to them. Secondly, he didn't even say husband of one wife. He said a deacon must be a man of one woman. That's literal Greek. What does man of one woman mean? It means he does not womanize. That was the emphasis, not the number of his wives. The emphasis Paul was saying is that he said, You know, those guys where they will come to church, then for night, they will, they, they will lock their phone. Their wives can't see it in their office. The office people know who his girlfriend is. That one cannot be a deacon. It's not about the number of wives, but about a man committed to marital fidelity. Let's get it. When we don't understand the scriptures, we err. We start arguing senselessly. An old man at the age of 60 suddenly only wants to marry a young wife. He said, why are you a Christian? He said, I'm not a deacon. He said, no, these are arguments people have given. Show me in the Bible where say we can't have two wives. David had two wives and pleased the Lord. You know what God said about David? He pleased God in everything apart from the case of Uriah the Hittite. As he was packing one wife after the other, we find out that David was not being chastised by God. But later on, Jesus made it clear what he was doing was still a sin. To let you know that sins come in what? Different levels. In that area, God rapidly took us believers to a higher level. So that from day one, we all understand. Polygamy is not our portion. Because Jesus said, in the beginning, he that made them, made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and be joined to one wife, to his wife. And the two, not the three, the two of them shall become one flesh. That is our reason for saying what we say. But you see, God has set us up to another level. We are closer to perfection than David was. We are closer to perfection than Solomon was. We are closer to perfection than Jacob was. Oh, yeah. In that area, at least. I hope you are getting my point here. So I instead of all of this to let you know that, yes, some things can be frowned upon for a while. That is, God just overlooks them. Because if you are not stealing money from somebody, you are only begging him for money. It's not really, a, a, there's nothing like, the Bible never said thou shall not beg. It's thou shall not steal. But you see, as you are getting to know God more, you are beginning to understand that some things are not to be named amongst those who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you are getting my point here. We just start learning them. No matter the explanation, there are things we just will not do. And each day we get better. That's the point I'm making. But in all of this, we have a drive for righteousness. And we know that if we don't attain it, God is not angry. Nobody say they so, But there is a level of his manifestation in our lives that we will never see. Pray for nothing till tomorrow. It will not come. There is a way God wants to live in us. That he can't. Except some things are removed. We may say it is small, but you know what he said? Catch the little foxes for us. Why? Because the little foxes, they spoil the vine. They are little, but they say spoil things. That's why I say all the time, without the work that David had with God, there was not one place, if you find, please show it to me so I'll stop saying it. There was not one place that God used him as an example of marriage. He will say, and David was a man that God loved Though Jesus is called the son of David. He baptized David with that honor. He will tell you about the sure messes of David. God so loved David, yet when it comes to marriage, he never gave him as an example. And in fact, he let us know that David was not a good father. So he may have winked at, like the Bible says, like Paul said, in past times, God winked at some things and is now commanding men to repent. But even in the winking process, there was no blessing attached you must understand that God's mercies can withdraw judgment from you, but he cannot put a blessing on disobedience. I need you to, to get that point. He can refuse to punish, but he cannot put a blessing on disobedience. So, let's take at the security first person we're talking about in our country like this. Yes, you're begging. Fine. You're not stealing. Alright. But there's a level of righteousness God wants you to get to that will have propelled you into abundant prosperity financially, which you will never experience as long as you cannot get to work. Now, listen to me. Endure the poverty for three years, four years, until the, God's divine ab- abundance comes. If your conscience is, too being de- is, is being defiled, God says, it's your right hand. Cut it off. You know what the right hand is? The position of strength. What you labor with to bring money into your home. Cut it off, he said. So, we can be excusing it. And God never said, God never said that we can't marry more than one wife. God said, no problem. You, David, after David married... We know six. We know there are more than six and concubines. Because you know, Allah, let me pray for you. Kneel down here. The blessing of David marriage will be your portion. Can you say amen to that? No. Can you say amen to that? No, sir. See, the way I say, nobody even mistakenly answered me amen. <laughs> what did you say? The blessing of David in marriage will be my portion. I bet if not, joke. <laughs> Stop him. Um. Turn them to fight. No sinner that they fight. This kind of joke is getting too far. Absalom will be my son. Amnon will be born to me. Ah uh Adonijah will be my son. My own son will assassinate his brother because he asked for a wife, which we know it was not wife he was asking for. It was to undermine his authority in the kingdom. What do I want Absalom for as his son? And you call that a blessing? Six sons, six wives. You couldn't find a prince to replace me. You have to wait for a a repentance from iniquity to get me, Solomon, who also went mad later on in life. You call that a blessing? Say, God, please, we told it. Why? That is just what goes with the life that David lived in that area. There is no running away from it. You can't fast away from it. You can't pray away from it. You can't lay hands away from it. All you can do is walk away from that kind of life if you don't want that kind of trouble. Some things have been joined with some things. Live the marital life of David, you get the kind of sons he got. You get the kind of troubles he got. God may be thinking so much about David, but read in between the lines. David was not a happy man. If David had gotten our revelation, he would have given him one wife, he would have taken it. He would have lived to be 120. What I've told is not a joke. David would have lived to be minimum 120. That's what David would have attained. How old was he when he died? 70 what? He was hanging 70 something. And when they said the testimony of David it was quite a shame. At 80, 85 Caleb was going to war. At 70 David went to war. He meant sent him back home. Because one Philistine was about to end him. The nurse said "No, no, 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 no. From now on you will not go to war with us. Lest the light of Israel be quenched. Lest the light of Israel be quenched at 70. When Caleb, as 85, reminded Joshua that 45 years ago, this is exactly how I felt. My strength has been the same for war. All I need is the order. Abba was said to be the greatest of the Anakim. That was the person's land he took. David at 70. They sent him home. Not only did they send him home, he felt sick. Let me explain how sick he was. He couldn't keep himself warm. So the man said, All right, where did his warm, his ability to warm himself go? He said, We all know. Don't you know? I don't know, Bukko. Everybody said, Well, we all know where his strength went. He can't warm himself. Let's get the representative of the people that took his strength to come and return his warmth. He said, what do we get? You'll find one girl you know now. Why are we, there? Why are we pretending? They went and looked for a girl and said, girl, don't worry, no risk to your life. A guy is too tired. Just lie down here. He said, what if? There is no what if. He's tired. <laughs> the girl now, ah! <laughs> they can't even get water bottle. They had a water bottle. I think they didn't have water bottle. If it's morning, they will get water, to. he said, oh God, David, you are too cold. He said, yes, don't worry. We know where your heat went. He said, no, brother David, I mean no disrespect, but that was a useless life. That is what happens when you live like David lived. I believe it. The women took away his strength completely. It's in the Bible like that. Solomon wrote it. Don't give your strength to women. Did he say don't give your strength to walk or to war? <laughs> Don't give your strength to what? Not to a, to a woman, no. Because one woman can't take your strength. Unless you yourself are a wicked soul. One woman can't. One woman will amplify your strength. you suddenly be having energy more than before. Can't you see, choose, get stronger by the day. Suddenly <laughs> so if you have an idea, start jogging. He's married, isn't he? <laughs> but when there are two, oh, while well, we start, then the strength starts going away. A man that will have lived to be 120. will not die at 70. What am I trying to say? Let's stop making excuses for bad behavior. Because God cannot put a blessing on that which is wrong inherently. He can overlook it, but he can't bless it. He can overlook it, but he can't bless it. For that reason, everything we are looking for, that is, we are looking to attain everything that God... Let me give you an example. One of the things I believe in very strongly is that when I read the scriptures if there is a blessing inside, I say, God, we can't waste this life. We must experience it in this life. I hope you are getting my point. When Jesus said, don't take thought about tomorrow, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, where without shall you be clothed. After this, pray, pray. they come to church and pray about it. You seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness and all the shall be added to you. So, what am I aiming for? A point in which I never have to ask God for anything, personally. But if it comes to my mouth that, Lord, damn, I'll need to change my car. Keep <clears> quiet. <throat> Stop saying it. Seek the kingdom. Now, when you see such things, you know what, 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 what we are saying? We want to experience it. We don't want to get to heaven. And Jesus said, You didn't have to pray those prayers, so I hope you know. See, Lord, ah, but after I prayed for seven weeks, you finally brought the car. He said, That's because you were not seeking the right things. If you had removed your mind from it, I would have given that car in six weeks from the time you first thought about it. If you have spent the energy pursuing righteousness, I don't want to get to heaven. You understand? Let me tell you, one of the things, look, Psalm 92, I love Psalm 92. I believe very strongly that old age is not a disease. Old age is not a disease. According to scriptures, age is allowed to do only one thing for you, which is what? Make you wise. So, I'm old, that's why my hip is paining me. I don't believe it. I'm old, that's why I can't see clearly. I don't like it. I'm old, that's why my ankles, uh, my, my joints are paining me. You know, at your age, arthritis, I don't say it near me. What the Bible says is as an old man, I should be young in my, in my, you know, strength should be my portion. That the age of a hundred, I should be considered a young man. But you know what God is saying? That is my promise. But you know why many people don't experience it? Because of the little David attitude in their life, their lives. You, you, You understand my David attitude now? There are things they just don't accept from the world, to walk by it. They make excuses, and when they do, I can overlook, but I cannot bless it. There's a way they handle their finances. I don't even like it. I will overlook a lot of things they are doing, but I will not bless it. Now, we understand all of these things, therefore. You know what Paul said? He says, since we have these promises, beloved, what do we do? We cleanse ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit. Even the little defilement. Once it's a defilement, that is, if God were to show David that this is what your future you will be, once you take the second wife, if David were, so, were to be able to see it, you know, he would do what Paul said. I will put what? My body under. Say, but that girl is fine. My body under. Because you have seen that girl is fine. You have seen Absalom killing somebody. As <laughs> <laughs> I say, ah! See, Nabal has died though. Abigail is free. Hey, Abigail, wise girl? She is free? Yes. Nabal is gone. Wow. As you're about to go and greet the widow Nabal, you just see Amnon repeat somebody. So you say, may the Lord comfort you in Jesus' name. You carry your body and you go back away. Are you getting my point? You are beginning to see that, look, this one God may winkle. God may not say anything, no. That's how this God told me, God told me to do the things that scriptures have made clear to us that we're not supposed to do. There is what is called a just recompense of reward for disobedience. That was why Jesus said, "Hey, pursue." No, Paul said it. Pursue after righteousness. He says, "Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." He says, "You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." Because except you attain that perfection, in reality, not my eyes and my hand, I'm holy. No, in reality, that is. We are coming from David's angle. We are going to Jesus' angle. We have one wife. We are men of one woman. If you are a man, you are a man of one woman. Say, so what if? There is no what if. Now, you know where I am going today? Satan, you remember I talked about grace. I always return to grace. After preaching for some time, I will come and preach about grace again. Life is tough. Open your Bibles quickly. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 4. Satan is alive, always trying to trick us away from our inheritance. Listen the things that we practice as Christians. Jesus said, let your light so shine that men will see your good works. Before they know, let's we are using this David and marriage as an example. Before they even know we are Christians, if they see the way we relate with our wives, they should just know that something is different. When men gather, they don't know you are a Christian, and you are talking, they should just know something is different. The kind of jokes you crack. I told you some time ago, was last year. I made up my mind or two years ago. That if you crack any joke mocking marriage, I will not laugh. Even if it's funny, I will repent of laughing. I found too many people. You know what the Bible, called, what the Bible calls mocking holy things, casting pearls before dogs. Men do it all the time. Some of the funniest jokes in life is mocking marriage. So one day I said to myself, I will not laugh. My classmates have a child group. Shortly after, they added me that time. Somebody dropped a joke on marriage, and I told them that, why do we like to mock holy things? I said some positive things about marriage. I said, do I have a witness? You know the way we say, amen, amen. That was since last year. Till today I have no witness. Drop one silly joke about marriage. Everybody is laughing. And we're passing comments. Yes, okay. Yes, okay. Yes, okay. That's how it is. They will talk up and down. I just, I just That day, one of my one of my classmates dropped one. I asked him. I said, why do we like to mock holy things? He said, lighten up, guy. That's what he answered me. He said, life is not that hard. Take it easy. I said, it's a choice I have made. I don't find it funny. I just deliberately don't find it funny. If you want to make fun of with marriage... It must be a positive do you get my point you can you must say something that is 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 you know is is a blessing if we were to take it literally that's the one i want to laugh about if we were to take it literally it's a blessing because i found out that people just make up made up their minds they want to mock holy things and i decided that that is one of those things i will refuse to participate in the mockery of it like i said we are living from david angle We are coming to Jesus' angle. We just say, sorry, I don't mock holy things. You sit with men, the kind of things they say, they just know that you don't find it funny. Why? They will describe wife, wife, women, and women like this just say, well, my wife is not like that, I thank God. Before they know you are a believer, they should have seen that you have different values and the way you talk and relate is different. Listen, unless you attain that, Jesus said, Except your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, there is a level of spiritual blessing you will not enter into. When you pray for a blessing, a number of ways God gives the blessings to us when we pray for, for them. One major way is that He corrects our current behavior that is hindering the blessing from coming. That is one major way. That day I was in my class, I was giving a lecture. <laughs> Something led to it, you know I do like the one I'm teaching. I just pick up something and start gisting. I said, ah, why should women be arguing with their husbands? Hey, one girl in front of her, like, like she didn't know when she did it too. Oh, Reeflessly. Like, you no know, day. <laughs> I said, marriage is not by force. If you don't want to marry, leave the matter. Can you go to the office and argue with your boss? No. Why do you want to do it at home? You smoke something, are you on coding? My husband, this is the kind of thing I don't like. Go and tell your boss that one. Go and tell your boss that one. Let us see what will come out of it. You enter the office and tell your husband, uh, your boss, where the one that took the five from my table? (laughs) Oh, more. You all don't finish. (laughs) Like they say, (laughs) your sack is doing press up. There's a level of joy we are looking for. God says, listen, no matter how much you pray for it, I can't give it to you until you learn the precepts that produce it. That's what he meant when he said that. Except your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. Sometime ago, I've not finished processing it. (laughs) It has to do with money. I just realized that the Holy Spirit was telling me something about money. That if you understand the flow of money, you will never lack it. I've not finished processing it. What I mean by flu, I realized what he was saying is that if you restrict the flow, you block the coming meaning. You know what the law was saying? If I said it to surprise many people. <laughs> as long as I put a need and a responsible expenditure in front of you, not spend three to one, not careless expenditure, you must never restrain yourself from spending that money on it. Otherwise, you block the flow I want to bring in. That's divine precepts. How you practice it is your problem. I don't care what you claim you are saving for. God, they don't look at that. Look at what I have put in front of you. That's what I meant when I said sufficient unto the day is evil thereof. Listen, what Satan wants to do is to trick us away from our inheritance. Every day brings to us precepts, guidelines, things by which we will live life. Hmm? And then when we start living life like that, God will have no option but to deny us the blessing. Not because it's hard, but because there's no way by which... Like I said, he can't bless disobedience. He can overlook, but he can't bless it. So Satan says, how do we get these guys? That is, we put things in front of them for them to believe that it's different from the word of God. Now, please, what I want to say, please follow me. Follow me closely. Don't misunderstand me. I believe in physical exercise. You know, I say it all the time. I have this mini gym in my house. Even though it's covered with seven kilometers of dust, but I will soon remove it. It's <laughs> not Okay? It's not my fault. It's the neighborhood's fault. They park too many. So my my daughter will come mob the place, clean it. Before I come back next morning, another layer of dust. So we'll have to find it. We want to solve that dust problem. I'll go back there. It's good. I like it. That day I told my wife, please, I need to buy this, this bicycle that does not move, stays on one spot. I tested one. I said, it's nice. I should get one. It's nice. Today, as I was leaving, I was driving out of my house. We are rushing to Nusuka. I saw so they, they, they are blocked that government house road again with their drums and go, 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 go. everybody's jogging, no running up and down. I wish I had the time, but I don't. It's not a bad thing. Okay? Please follow what I'm trying to say. But like I say all the time, do you realize, the Bible says physical exercise has little profit. And it says... Who is the fellow that really wants to live long? What should he do? Keep his mouth from speaking evil. He said, honor your father and your mother (laughs) that may be well with you and that you may live long. If you see the criteria he gave for living long, he did not include one bit of jogging. (laughs) So the world, you know what the world does? The world now set a new set of standards for us. Unconsciously, we buy those things and we run with them on a daily basis. In a week, I read two scientific publications, both of them for in important world top class journals. One says not drinking alcohol in middle age increases the risk of dementia. What does that mean? Please drink small alcohol. The next one says this was commissioned. I have forgotten the journal now, published one of the world's topest journals. It says after they've conducted studies lasting like 15 years, they've made up their mind that alcohol is a useless product and that there is no reason why anybody should drink it. That the so-called perceived advantages are outweighed by the overall disadvantages. I read two of these in one week. I just shook my head. As anybody still waiting for the scientific world to tell you how to live your life, apparently you don't know God yet and you really have a serious problem. Scientists will be tossing us up and down. We will not stick with the, the, the precepts of God so that his blessings can flow into our lives. Somebody died. One of my colleagues said, I think I mentioned it last time, Look, it wasn't here. It was when I was preaching in um, my senior citizens' fellowship, where I'm the chaplain, that I preached this on Sunday. If you can get lay your hand on that message, please, I really want you to listen to it. Okay? I preached on strength for the soul and the body. Focus was on divine health. That's when I mentioned this to them. Somebody died. One of my colleagues, a pathologist, he said in the last one week he has attended four. <laughs> They have been called to four cases of sudden death in young people, young middle-aged adults. And that this is very serious. People are dying suddenly, in my mind, eh? Is it new? You just happen to have seen four in one week. The week you didn't see any, ten happened. It's just life. So it was a prescription in our roots. I started laughing. He said, Look, look, what do we do? Go for regular checkups. How many of you, you all say you are doctors. How many of you have, have checked your PSA? How many of you women have gone for mammography? How many of you doctors are not even doing what your are practicing? They rake, they rake, they rake, and they laugh. Four people die suddenly. Then my life will change. Then the, Prince said, the Bible said in the end time there will be death by death. That people will die by pestilence, they will die by famine, they will die by the sword, and they will die by death. He said, "What does it mean to die? What does it mean to die by death?" He said they are not sick; nothing's wrong with them. They will just drop dead for no explanation. That is a sign of God's judgment. Checking yourself up will not stop that. I believe the word of God. I said, "So if you don't want to die, suddenly, you know what you do? I can easily tell you. It's not hard. Do you want to learn it?" Say, "Please tell me." It's simple. You need to say, "Lord, please, I don't want to die suddenly." Shikenah. That is all. Once you have said to him, Lord, I don't want to die suddenly. Please. You know what he will do? He will not say, Aha. Uh-huh. There is a way that seems right onto a man. <laughs> but the way is the way of death. So, oh boy, see this way. You are walking into sudden death. If you don't like it, turn. I told you this story. Listen to Kennehegan series. Kennehegan said, Huh. <laughs> Yearly, he has this meeting for his ministers. A, a Rima alumni. They will come. He was a prophet and a teacher. First of all, a prophet. And he will be ministering, then suddenly the Spirit of God will come upon him. And he will prophesy, this really happened. That there are two that sit here today, or three. Come, by this time next year, they will not be around anymore. They will have died. A summary. He said, as soon as he said it, His eyes picked two people and said, These are two of them. And the Holy Spirit said to him immediately, They don't have to die. So he called it all then, You see me, you see me. And according to Kenneth Hagin, he had a correction for both of them. One came to see him. And according to when he was in the story, he said, Nobody knows who I'm talking about, so I can tell you what happened. That the Lord said he should tell him, You're a married man. Why do you have eyes for other women? That that is what will lead to your demise within the next one year. Stop it and you will live. The man stopped it and he lived. The other fellow, he didn't tell us what his own problem was. He told the man, see me. That one never came. People reminded him. Man of God said you should come and see him. No. Uh, Later. One elder said, I was there. When Brother Hagen said you should see him. Have you gone to see him? I'm not going. Don't worry about it. Then one morning he woke up, shouted, My head. He fell down, became unconscious, they rushed him to hospital, they called Brother Hagin. The same brother Hagin he refused to go and see. That one called prayer warriors and they began to pray. Hey, God have son the high father in the name of Jesus. <laughs> he will not die. God he will
1: die.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I you know what happened? He died. So, listen, Christianity, please, let's not joke with the Lord. When Jesus said, except your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, he is saying, there is a kind of blessing I want to bring. It can't come, except your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. And he has outlined it for them in practical terms. He said, this is your target. You must be perfect, as the Heavenly Father is perfect. You don't make excuses. You ask yourself, will Jesus react like this? The answer is no. Now, this is where I'm going. Even though it may be hard for you to react the way Jesus react will have reacted, but it becomes your goal, your target. I said, We should open to what? Hebrews 4. Thank you. Remember, we read from that Matthew chapter 6 on how to pray. He said, Pray, deliver us from evil. We must not be the ones to do evil. Deliver us from evil. Does not mean we deliver us from experiencing evil. No, deliver us from committing evil. If Jesus gave it as a prayer point, it means it's a good prayer point. It's an important prayer point. Hebrews chapter 4. Now, I will not read everything, but I would like to back up to chapter 3. In chapter 3, he began to tell us, About the faithfulness of Jesus and how, in verse 12, we should be careful lest there be any one of you with an evil, unbelieving heart. Please follow this. An evil, unbelieving heart who falls away from the living God. He said, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today. Lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. It starts small, 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 small. Sometimes when I hear some things that some so-called great men of God do or have done, you ask yourself, how did this start? How did it get to a point where a man of God, look like my wife would say, when she would hear some things that preachers do, she say, my husband, is it that some people don't just fear God? That if I'm the one, I'll just be looking over my shoulder because I will be afraid. So I ask myself, why do people get to that point where they will stand boldly on the pulpit and tell lies? Where you see a preacher, a man of God, who people are talking about him, say, You know, the problem with that man is women. And it's no longer a secret. You know, sometimes I'm playing with my wife, I say, <laughs> I said, thank God for his righteousness and his spirit. Too. I say, Even if I wanted to do bad things, I think it would be hard. This is my own reason. I said, because the kind of places people have recognized me. I don't know whether you are getting my point. Odd places. Odd. Strange places. The other day I just parked here. Was it he yesterday? And Kingston stopped to greet me. He just parked behind me I said, Who is that? And he came there. Ah, Kingston, how are you? We couldn't talk because <laughs> I just came to that. Somebody called. ah, Pastor, how are you doing, sir? Oh, I was listening to you. Please to meet you today. Ah, bless God, bless you. Thank you very much. The person goes, King, another person will come. Ah ah. I said, King said, okay, let me go. Let's go. Let's just go. We'll see another time. That one is afternoon. The one that has shocked me the most was 9 p.m. in a strange place in Bonilla Island. They are RA. Well, you know, you know, all companies, they call their residential quarters RA. So that night, my wife said she wanted to go and exercise. So I said, okay, let's go. I mean, I'm not in a running mood, so you can be running. The place is beautiful, well-lit, everything. So even though it's night, 9 o'clock about. It's like they In fact, they play f- football at night and all of that. So she was walking around the field. I said, "Okay." She was, you know, rush, r- walking fast, jogging small. And I was just taking a walk, and I was on the phone with a friend. And one woman who came to walk to start slowing down near me. I didn't think much of it. She, you know, she knew I was on the call. Make a long story short. After I hung the call, she came and I said, "Good, good, uh, good evening, sir." Please, I, I, are you by chance, Pastor Banky? Because I, when I heard your voice, you sounded like, I said, hey, nine o'clock. <laughs> On a sporting field. Strange places. So I tell my wife, I said, well, I think many people are just watching me. So, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine, jokes. <laughs> this is my age and marital status of almost 20 years. And I go and chase one young woman. I am about to say, "Hey, baby, how are you doing? You say, oh, Pastor back what are you doing? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> no, be die with us. <laughs> <laughs> if a ninja would just appear to you, say, well, not for your wife and your children. <laughs> Why? <We're> like... <laughs> now, what am I saying all of this is? Yes, so when I hear some people do some things, I marvel. They are much more known than I am known. They've been there for longer. How do you harden yourself to a level that you don't care? Because you know people know. You know. No, no, you know. You know they know. You, you, it cannot be hidden. You know what Paul said? And least what this portion of the Bible says. He said it's called the deceitfulness of sin. It starts subtly. till so we get to a point. We speak lies in the name of the Lord and we're not bothered. Verse 14. He said, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said today if you hear his voice and all of that, do not harden your heart. For who provoked him? I mean, verse 16. When they heard. He said, Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses, that is, were not all of them in that team, were were they not the ones that provoked him? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fed in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest? He said, but to those who were disobedient. That is, among those who came out of Egypt, led by Moses, some were disobedient. He said, so you see, even though you have come out of Egypt, it is still possible that you will not enter into the rest because of what? Unbelief. That's verse 19 I just paraphrased. Now this is where we are going to verse 4. He said, therefore... Let us rest, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. He now talked about the rest. Those who believe have entered into the rest. Verse six. Since therefore it remains for some to enter, and why did they not enter? He said, because of disobedience. That's verse 6. He now said, I'm summarizing it. Let us therefore, verse 11, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, and sharper than any so, that that is This word works. It's just when people don't tackle it with faith and obedience. Verse 14. He says, "Since then we have a great High Priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a High Priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are being tempted, but in His case without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need." Grace to help in time of need. That we might receive grace to help in time of need. Please let me teach again briefly on what that time of need is. I went through all of this to explain something here. Remember, God says, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves of all defilement. Paul was saying here, he's telling us also that they had the promises, but the promises did not profit them because of what? Disobedience. Unbelief. So he says, Now listen to this. What happened was that the people were tempted and they fell for temptation. That temptation was that they would doubt God. That temptation was that they would disobey God. He now said, the pressures of life will come so that it will push us to disobey. That's where I'm going. Sometimes scientific evidence is put in front of you so heavy that you will look irresponsible not to accept. Yet once you accept, you will start disobeying like I said, remember, we're not talking about heavy sins now. You know we have left heavy sins alone. Talking about small, small, small things. He said, those are the times that I call the time of need. The time where you need strength to continue to obey God, despite the fact that the pressures of life are being mounted on you. The time, because that's what happens. Something leads people to start disobeying God, and usually it's pressure. We're talking about somebody in the security forces not begging for money. Not participating in rogering business. You know what they call roger business? Not being a man that you say, check, make sure the airlines are safe. You are there, greeting anything. Ah, God, your voice are here. That means if I give you 10,000 naira, you may forget to properly check my bag. Because that's what money does. It blinds the eyes of the scene. You, you're not trying to close your eyes. You just don't see again. You just don't see. You you are you are looking like this one. The money becomes what logs in your eyes. You don't want to be like that. But when you, all of you know school fees, they will soon get a text message. You know they have happy new month. You will soon see happy fee, school fees week. Have you not received that one before? I got it sometime a few months ago. Somebody sent a message out. one of my classmates said, "Happy school fees week." It's coming. We pretend like it's not coming. This is where apostles straightened up. (laughs) You know what he said? Tell me about it. (laughs) Then somebody will now say to you, don't participate in what is not even a mortal sin. That's what we are saying. God gave us two, two recipes for victory. First, he said, hold on to your confession." That was the first recipe he gave for victory. Verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the son of God. Let us hold fast what? Our confession. One thing about confession is that it's just your mouth. It's just you. it just talk time. For example, you know what the Western world tried to do? They took away the confession. They told everybody... You need to be, I saw that terminology yesterday in Newsweek. You need to be a teleological thinker. Is it teleological? To believe that there was creation. You need to be a teleological thinker to believe everything has a purpose. That has a pro- problem with teleological thinking. People always think there is a purpose. Sometimes there's no purpose. Giraffe's neck is long by accident. He wrote it there. I'm not joking. He wrote that one there. That the neck of the giraffe is long by accident. It's just that because the neck is long, it gave it a survival advantage when food was scarce. So it persisted in my mind. Oh foolish Galicia! Do you know why we think with purpose in mind? Because we know there is a creator. And everything he does has a purpose. And life and science has shown it that they do have purpose. Purposes for the way things exist. Anyway, they first call everybody, they give you a bad name. So that when you say something that has to do with this, is it teleological? Ah, I forgot the terminology. Or teleological thinking. They say, you're hey, a Jew man. You're not modern. You are a bigot. You are a fanatic. When they give people those names, you know what happened? They withdraw their confession of faith. And that's what they were going to. And I said that some people are born gay. They are born lesbian. The fact that you were not born like that does not make you you should discriminate against them. I always say, some people were born blind. Let them come and fly your plane. Didn't Jesus ca- encounter one? Who said that this one should be born blind? Agreed, he was born blind. Wasn't bomb blind? Yes. Do you know some of those who are really crazy? They actually have quarreled with people who try to correct structural deformity in, in newborn children. That that's the way they were born. You should respect their privacy. They even went to court to stop people from circumcising males. That is a permanent bodily harm. You should wait for the child to grow up and decide whether he wants to be circumcised. I'm serious. They've dragged these matters to court, though. Madness not get limited once it starts to. They withdraw the confession so people will stop saying that God said for a man to desire another man, not to want to marry him openly is an abomination unto me. He said you can't say abomination. And I heard P.S. Morgan say this, that what annoys him is when he, he said I'm a Catholic, I said you are not a Catholic, bros, forget that. He said I'm a Catholic. The other people say abomination. I feel like I say, nobody said abomination. Who said it? Did, was it you? Was it me? Did you ever hear abomination from my mouth originally? <laughs> it's not the Bible that I read. Once they said, don't say abomination, what happens is that we stop saying abomination. And once we don't say abomination, that spirit <laughs> rests and doesn't go away anymore. But if only we will have continued to say what God said. That one, our confession that this is not natural, this is not what God said, it is an abomination. What happens is that the spirit will not be able to rest amongst us because it's a spirit. Chris Devon calls it an unclean spirit. He says one of those things that the Bible will call having an unclean spirit. So don't let them ever change your mind. Don't let them ever make excuses for what is bad for you. If you see what is good, admire it, go for it. You, it doesn't mean you can do it. At least admire it. That's why I gave the example of Leah Shaibu. The young girl, young girl, teenager. She was kidnapped by Islamists. And we heard the news that everybody was released after negotiation apart from her. Why was she not released? They said it was because she refused to convert to Islam. Other girls agreed, they were released. Other girls were already Muslims, they were released. This one said, I am a Christian. Do what you wish. I'm not renouncing my faith in Christ Jesus. And people have come with all kinds of comments. She should have just denied him for two hours. After she has been released, she will re... She she will undeny him. She will reclaim him. But she stop talking that nonsense. Don't worry about what I'm doing in the girl's life. Just admire that this is what I call a faithful witness. Just admire it. I call her a faithful witness. The rest of you will not go to the camp of Boko Haram to preach, right? This one is preaching there as we speak. She has shown men, demon-possessed men, drug-crazed men, men on drugs, men who claim that Allah is inside them, whatever it is. She has looked at them in the face and dared them to do their worst and it is not possible for them not to wonder what kind of spirit has possessed this one. Does this mean she will not die? No. Matters die. Stephen died. It's not new. Paul died. Peter died. It's not new. It's in the scriptures like that. In Hebrews chapter 11, he said people refused deliverance. What were they looking for? A better resurrection. It's nothing new. God said, just admire it and leave it there. It's called holding on to what? Your confession. That's number one recipe. Second recipe. Oh, this is where Christianity is beautiful. This is where Christianity is beautiful. No matter how tough it is, we have a place of prayer to go to. I don't know whether you are getting my point. And when we go there, what happens is that the Spirit enters us and makes us obey God. The Spirit entered Jesus and helped him go to the cross. The Spirit will enter us and make us do what naturally is unreasonable. But it's exactly what God calls righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. What am I saying? If we admire what is right and focus on it, and when we are under pressure, we go to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need, it is not possible for temptation to carry us away. And let's talk to you, please, as I close. As you clear one level of temptation, another level will stare you in the face. And this is how it is. It is not those big ones that start coming up in your face. It's the small, small ones that you used to overlook. Oh, that's how God does it. It's the small, small ones you used to overlook that he will show in your face again. Like I gave you an example. So stop cracking jokes with things that are not true. Why? Because God can't. Let your jokes be so clean that if it was to be taken literally to be a blessing. It's a tough one. Especially with the kind of things going on around you. What God does is he keeps bringing us to a new level. And those new levels are little things we thought were inconsequential. Things we thought were inconsequential. God starts showing them to us and starts saying, take this one out. Why? You have to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That was what happened to Job. Job was humanly perfect. He thought until he saw God as a new standard for righteousness. If you listen to the habitation of God, you'll be amazed At how God judges what they call sin. If I tell you I'll be in your house tomorrow morning by 8 o'clock, and I'm about to leave my house by 7, it starts raining heavily. And as a consequence, I can't reach your house till 10 o'clock. You know what God says? It's iniquity. Do you not have an excuse? It rained heavily. Everywhere was flooded. I didn't even have a car. The Kekes were not working. No taxi agreed to stop. It was raining heavily. God said, but you gave your word and it fell to the ground. Do you think if I was the one that said I will be there by tomorrow morning, by 8 o'clock, it will happen that I will not be there? There is a way we can do it. He said, no, but Lord, it was not my fault. When God asked Job about where he was when he created Orion, was it his fault? You must understand God. He's not asking you to take the blame per se. He's saying to you, recognize your ungodliness. Because if it was Samuel, he would have been there. You see, but it was reading. He said, if Samuel said I will be there by 8, by 7.20 the rain will stop so that the word of Samuel may not fall to the ground. What happened that your word is so useless, rain can stop it? Instead of sitting down and saying, it's not my fault, it's not my fault, just recognize there's a level of godliness you have not attained to. Just recognize it. Instead of saying, well, it wasn't my fault to go home and say, Lord, I told that man I will be in this house by 8 o'clock, but I did not make it. I am sorry. Leave it there. If you pray that kind of prayer a number of times, it will happen one day. You will say to somebody, I will see you by eight o'clock. Are you getting my point? By seven, rain starts falling, flood everywhere. People are even fighting. There's a riot on the street, all kinds of things. Yet, suddenly an armored vehicle will stop. I say, Ah, choose, how now? Hey, a oh long time. Where are you going? I wanted to see, you. Ah, coming, coming, coming. It will drive you through all the trouble. Drop in front of your friend's house by five minutes to eight. I say, have a nice day. Sometimes you'll you even be somebody you recognize. A man will just say, you look like you need help. Ah, I don't. Know. I wanted to go somewhere, but look at all of this. Enter my car. You know, it's not where it's armored. It's an armored vehicle. There will be no trouble. And then he drops you, and you turn around to say bye bye, and you can't find him. Why? The Lord sent a chariot of heaven with an angel to convey you to a place so that your world will not fall to the ground. That's where he's taking his people to. But he said, for us to get to that level of manifestation. We have to wipe out what? Every little thing. Christianity. (laughs) Let me tell you, God's purpose. He said he wants to, I don't know how many of us are here. He said every one of them should be God walking on the earth. Remember the way Jesus was? You know what God wants? We live here. All the Jesuses are going back. Some Jesuses are going home. They are husbands. Some Jesuses are going home. They are wives. And Jesuses are going back to police station. They are policemen. Some Jesuses are going back to the hospital. There are doctors. There are nurses. There are all kinds of Jesuses. Imagine a nation that is filled with Jesus of every sort. Which problem would they not solve? He said, but this will not happen except their righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. And he has given us a key. Maintain what? Your confession. And in the time of trouble, go to the throne of grace. Obtain mercy. Find grace to help in the time of need. Listen, there is no temptation that God will not give you the grace to overcome. Whether it is big or it is small. It will happen that they will slap you on the right cheek. And you are thinking, How do I turn the left? How do I turn the left? Is that? you don't know you've turned the left? It's when the second one lands, bozaza, you are slapping me again. He said you, you turned the left now. You now realize I didn't turn it. The Holy Spirit did. That's why your name is Mishael, Hananiah, and, and Azariah. They will put you in front of the fiery furnace, and you will not bow. Not because you are strong, but because you have received grace to help in the time of need. I hope you've got to my point. Let's bow our heads
1: and give the Lord thanks. Say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Bless the name of Jesus indeed. Let your voice reach him in appreciation that you've heard the word of God. Do difficult, do hard, but yet his spirit is there to help us. The spirit of God is there to help us. It's not by our strength. As you were opening yourself to that word, the spirit of God was entering you, giving you strength to please him. Bless the name of the Lord. Say, Father, I thank you because you've once again sent pure word to me. This is pure. This is undiluted. And I receive it with thanksgiving. I receive it. Lord, we bless you. Father, we give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. As you go, may the Lord keep you. May the Lord bless your bread. May the Lord bless your water. May the Lord show you favor. May the Lord show you mercy. Everything that God has promised in Christ Jesus, may you be a partaker of it. Amen. If you have a cause of traveling this week, the Lord will go with you. Amen. Because of you, that vehicle would not have that accident. Amen. Because of you, when you step into that place, there was confusion before; order will return, Amen. peace will return. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're sick, like we always say, why the world was going on, we believe God healed you, Amen. and we say, go and check, and you will confirm. Amen. That indeed God has healed you. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Praise the name of Jesus. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out of the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil because we are seated high above with Christ. This is a season of multiplication and dominion and shining forth in the name of Jesus Christ.